we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Talk with a Doc, the show where we bring your questions to Providence medical experts for insight and information. Remember, everyone, all of our questions come from you, our listeners, via social media. We can be found on Twitter at Providence and on Facebook under Providence Health System. Use the hashtag Talk with a Doc, that's hashtag Talk with a Doc, for a chance to hear your questions in our episodes. Hi, I'm your host, Michelle James, Executive Director for the Providence Nursing Institute. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for your informational purposes only. If you have questions around COVID-19 pandemic, please visit our website at providence.org or visit the cdc.org for their official medical updates. This event does not create a doctor-patient relationship and any questions or medical advice discussed is not considered guidance on what you should do. For any medical questions, please reach out to your primary care or healthcare professional. Now let's begin. Joining me during this live event is Becca Bartles, Executive Director for Infection Prevention at Providence. I've had the privilege of working with Becca over the last nine months preparing and planning during this pandemic. The work has been hard and I wanted to say thank you to all of our healthcare heroes and their steadfast commitment to their colleagues, their patients and our communities. And Becca has led a lot of that work. So. Becca, thank you for joining. And can you please just tell us a little bit about your role at Providence and also about your background in infection prevention? Absolutely, thank you, Michelle. And I, I really appreciate appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to come and talk to this group today. So um, I am an epidemiologist. That is my um, background. I've been a board certified infection preventionist for 15 years. And, um, and really what, what we do in the, in the profession of infection prevention and epidemiology is we focus on um, reducing the risk of infection for um, individuals when they seek healthcare. And so whether that be in an inpatient environment, outpatient environment, um, or long-term care settings, our goal is to create processes and protocols um, and, and other methods to ensure that you leave our facilities healthier and safer um, you know, than, than you did when you came in. Great. Well, and this year has put a real test to our epidemiologist and you and your team. And again, you've done such incredible work um, and we're really grateful to you for that, that work. Can you tell us a little bit about the timeline for the COVID-19 vaccine? You know, we're hearing it in the lay press and would love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. Um, and, and it's exciting that really the, the timeline is accelerated for healthcare workers um, because of the critical role that they play in, uh, in caring for people with COVID. 
And so we are receiving vaccine as we speak. Um, today, we're expecting shipments at a number of our facilities. And, um, and we will begin vaccinating healthcare workers as soon as Wednesday of this week. So um, it depends on which facility you're at um, because the state uh, is, uh, or each state is responsible for distribution. And so um, doses are arriving a, a little bit different schedule in each state um, and based on each facility. But as soon as Wednesday, and I think as late for those that are in the um, the initial group that will receive vaccine is as late as maybe next Monday. Um, so lot, lots of vaccines and arms, hopefully, um, later on this week. Yeah, that's great. And can you tell us, Becca, just a little bit around the, the planning that's gone into really making sure that Providence has a good plan for vaccines, the COVID vaccine? Yeah. Boy, um, these last couple of months have been spent planning for the unknown um, because, you know, we got uh, some word from the CDC back in September that gave us um, a picture of what we could maybe expect for vaccine rollout and then a, um, a revised document later on in October that gave more details. But, um, but a lot of um, a lot of the questions have been unanswered at this point around how much vaccine we'll receive, when we'll receive it, who can take it, how we prioritize, et cetera. And that is all becoming very clear over the last few days as we get the emergency use authorization instructions from the FDA and Pfizer and the advisory committee on immunization practice recommendations. So, um, and as we as we awaited those sort of finalized documents and the finalized state plans, we wanted to ensure that we were prepared to be able to respond to whatever those requirements were. Um, and so we've we've done a lot of work to try and understand um, risk within our organization, and to identify those roles that are at highest risk of um, of working with individuals with COVID. Uh, and those roles that involve the most patient contact overall, as well as contact with um, the environment and patient care areas and uh, potentially contaminated materials. Um, so that when we are ready to begin uh, releasing vaccine, that we can really focus on the, the highest risk areas um, and, and individuals whose roles are, um, are considered the highest risk roles. Yeah, thanks, Becca. It's been a very complex process and very fluid. And again, I think a real credit to the teams for staying focused and doing everything they can to say, we want to be ready to do the right thing for our, our heroes that have been on the front lines caring for um, caring for patients in addition to, um, you know, the elderly that have been hit really hard in some of the congregate care settings. So again, um, lots of really great work that's happened. Can you tell me, are there certain groups that are more susceptible to COVID-19? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and really, there's there's two groups that CDC um, considers to be critical populations. So there's those that are more at risk of acquiring COVID vaccine, and healthcare workers fall into that group, uh, individuals that live in congregate care settings or settings where a, a large number of people live together. Um, and, and there's there's a long list of, of sort of other things that would put someone at higher risk, essential workers, um, uh, folks that live in um, or that work in environments like schools and uh, daycares, et cetera. 
Um, and then there's the list of, of things that put you at higher risk for severe disease and possible mortality, or, or um, sorry, morbidity. And those are um, really focused on pre-existing conditions. And so there's been a, a, a lot of literature growing over the last few months to help us understand um, what those risk factors are, things like diabetes, obesity, smoking, um, and other, uh, a long list of other underlying health conditions. And so that's part of the reason that the vaccine is being rolled out in waves, um, because we, we won't have enough vaccine to vaccinate all Americans within the first couple of weeks. It's, it's going to take yeah. um, a few months to get there. So um, those, those high-risk populations really make up the, the first group that I spoke about, healthcare workers and um, those living in long-term care settings will be the, the first group to receive vaccine. And then that other group that I spoke about will be the second group. Great, and that timeline, are, can you just kind of give us a timeline in, in weeks to months to really, you know, when we'll really get kind of to that herd immunity, that area where we've got enough people vaccinated? Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to say. It's a bit of predicting the future, but um, yeah. I think we, if we have good uptake and, you know, folks in our community, if Americans are, um, are accepting of the vaccine and we have um, good uptake initially, it, it could be very soon. Um, it, it's going to take a while to to have enough doses available to vaccinate everybody that wants to be vaccinated. I think that uh, likely by the end of the year or very early in 2021, we'll have been able to get through the majority of um, what are called the phase 1A caregivers, which is um, healthcare workers that have direct contact with patients or work in healthcare environments. Um, so likely by early January, that will be complete. And then I think we're, we're looking farther into the summer, probably before um, we have enough vaccine to vaccinate um, folks that are not in critical populations. Great, great. Another question is, if we get a flu shot, does that protect me from COVID-19? Oh, I wish it did. This would be so much easier <laughs> if it did. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it doesn't, but it does protect you from flu, um, which is important because although we're not seeing a lot of flu, there, there's still some flu. And, um, and a uh, COVID-19 slash flu infection together would be a very bad thing. So that's obviously something we need to avoid. Um, the, the other scenario is flu symptoms mimic COVID symptoms and vice versa. And, um, and so that, that can really be problematic for, oh goodness, I'm sorry, my laptop. There, got it. Oh, apologies. <laughs> <laughs> My screen went bad. And That's the way it goes these days on Zoom, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Goodness. Um, so, um, oh, and I've lost the thread. On flu. 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 So, uh, and, you know, we're in critical staffing right now. So we, we need as many um, healthy healthcare workers working in our facilities as possible. So, um, you know, we, we encourage everybody get the flu vaccine uh, and get the COVID vaccine. And that way everybody can be at work and, uh, and we can be caring for COVID patients and, until uh, we have enough uh, vaccinated in the population for herd immunity. Great. And it's not too late to get a flu vaccine either. People, they're still available. We really encourage people, if you haven't had one, um, consider 
getting a flu vaccine. That's great. Um, what side effects um, are there if we're to get the vaccine? What should what should I be worried about, if anything? Right. There, there are some um, some uh, relatively mild side effects reported. So. Um, pain at the injection site being the most common, which is pretty common for any vaccine. Um, a low-grade fever, um, fatigue, muscle aches, etc. Um, and what's what's problematic for us is a lot of those things are also early symptoms of COVID infection. And so, um, you know, we want our caregivers to be really mindful if you're receiving uh, or when you're receiving your vaccine. It's um, it's probably a good idea to do it right before you're planning um, to, to have your day off, uh, your days off, so that if you do develop some of the minor symptoms, um, it, it won't be necessary to miss work um, because of concern that you may have COVID. But if you do develop those symptoms, um, it's, it'll be difficult for us to tell the difference between a vaccine reaction and COVID. And so you'll want to follow the normal caregiver health processes and, um, and notify your core leader. Great. Thanks, Becca. Um, has COVID-19, the COVID-19 vaccine been proven to be safe and effective? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> it, um, so the the Pfizer trial, and I'm, I'm talking specifically about the Pfizer vaccine that received FDA uh, emergency use authorization on Friday, the Pfizer trial had 36,000 participants, um, which is a lot for, for a vaccine trial that happened in just a short period of time. Um, the the vaccine showed 95% efficacy. And so those uh, vaccine trial participants were broken up into two groups, 18,000 in each group. And you can see there's a graph that Pfizer puts out that shows as these folks went back into the community, those that received the placebo began to develop infection. And the, the graph shows that curve sort of rising. Um, and then those that received the vaccine did not. And so there's a flat line across the bottom. And as those two diverge, it just becomes abundantly clear how effective this vaccine is. Um, so that's that's very exciting. Yeah, and that's really unheard of. When we think about the vaccine, to have a 90% uh, effectiveness rate is pretty incredible when you think about it. Yes. So um, yes. that, that is exciting for our communities. And because you talked about just the Pfizer joint, um, vaccine. There's a question about, can you talk a little bit about the difference between the two vaccines that are coming out, the two that we know of? We know there are others on the horizon, but the Pfizer and the Moderna, can you give a Absolutely. little information? Absolutely. So both are mRNA vaccines, which is different. We, we, we don't have other mRNA vaccines um, that we routinely use. And the, the Pfizer vaccine was, um, as I said, it was approved first. The Moderna vaccine is on the, the same track for approval and maybe a week or two behind the Pfizer vaccine. Um, the doses that are coming out in the Pfizer vaccine will be less. Um, and once Moderna is approved, we should see um, a much, much more uh, rapid distribution and, and a lot of additional vaccine release. So that's, that's very exciting. Yeah, that's great. And the vaccines are not interchangeable. So I think that's, again, when we talk about co complexity, it's something that I think is really important for people to understand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, they're not. And so if uh, they're both two dose vaccines, too. So if you receive the Pfizer vaccine three weeks later, you'll need a second dose. Um, and it, it's not interchangeable with the Moderna. And then the Moderna, I think there's a four week interval between those two doses. 
Yeah. Yeah. So again, that important part of, I think all of us making sure that, you know, we're, we're following our state and our federal guidelines and making sure that, you know, we're really, I think, again, the planning that's happened and that really deliberate um, planning to say this is complex, but it's really important for our communities to know that we have really good planning in place. So there's another question that says, um, are there age restrictions for the COVID-19 vaccine? Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the trials did not include uh, children. And so the vaccine is approved through this emergency use authorization for, um, for folks age 16 and older. Um, and over, over time, uh, obviously, there will be additional information, additional data, and, and other populations. But for now, it's, it's just you know, basically adults. Great. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the information that you've learned around um, pregnant women and lactating women? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we're waiting for um, the final recommendations from the Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices, which is a subgroup of the CDC. Um, and, and they release uh, sort of with every vaccination all the ins and outs and do's and don'ts. And, um, and so that that's forthcoming. Um, but the advice to date is that um, pregnant women will be allowed to receive the vaccine. They'll be allowed to, to choose to um, take the vaccine. But because pregnant women were not included in the studies, there's still an element of unknown. Um, the, the technology itself is not... Um, doesn't appear to be high risk, but without the, those trials, it's difficult to know. And so it's recommended for both pregnant and lactating women that if they'd like to receive the vaccine, they should just um, have a conversation with their, their primary care provider and ensure that, you know, they do that risk benefit um, sort of, of uh, exercise with, with them. Great. And Becca, a question that came through, could you um, talk a little bit about um, define what mRNA means? <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> abbreviations, <I'm> probably, <laughs> we've got, <laughs> got to be careful. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm probably not the best person to, uh, to give you the very detailed um, sort of description and explanation of an mRNA vaccine. There's lots of uh, immunologists and pharmacists on our staff that, um, that may give a, a much better <laughs> version of the, of the, um, of the explanation that I could. Great. Well, and I guess what we can say is that that um, mRNA, the, the messenger RNA, that it actually helps with the antigen, so the body to actually um, promote an immune response so that they actually get some immunity and avoid becoming ill when, when they get the vaccine. So I think that's important as the immune system is reacting. Too. Right. And it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not live virus. Um, and that's, that's part of the nature of the vaccine is um, an mRNA vaccine cannot cause you to become infected. Um, there's no risk of infection. It basically just teaches your body how to fight off um, the, the actual virus itself. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Um, we know that there's a limited supply of vaccine and we've already talked a little bit about this, about who will get the vaccine first and, and the tiers. So I don't know that there's, do you want to just highlight that one more time and then we'll move on yeah. to the next question? Yeah, I think, you know, all indications, again, are that we, we should have enough vaccine over the next few weeks to vaccinate all of our, um, our healthcare workers that, that fall into the 1A category, which is those 
that have contact with um, direct contact with patients or with uh, potentially infectious materials in the healthcare environment. Um, because we don't, we won't get enough doses this week for all caregivers, and because it's going to take us a, a bit of time to, um, you know, to sort of get everybody through that process, um, we are beginning that process in, in smaller groups. So within each facility, we've identified the um, what are the highest risk work areas and the highest risk roles for um, being in contact with individuals with COVID, and those folks will receive emails first with information about scheduling. Um, and then, e you know, each each cohort will receive information as we get additional supply and um, and additional space in this in the clinics opens up. Um, and that is going to that that happens for us through the vav.providence.org tool. And so I would really encourage everybody to go to that website if you haven't already and complete your survey. Um, it allows you to tell us your preferences for how you would like us to communicate with you, whether it's email or text, and make sure you've got the right email and the right phone number in there. And it also allows caregivers to um, self-assess their risk. So, um, you know, we've we've looked at each each ministry, each facility, uh, each department, um, and and tried to understand risk there. But you guys know your risk better than anyone else, and so. Um, we really want you to share with us that if there are unique things about your role or um, your work location that um, that it's important for us to know. That tool allows you to do that, and it's a great way to to give us both that information and information about um, if you're interested in vaccine, so that we can make sure that you know that we're we're reaching out at the right time to um, your right communication preferences. Yeah, thanks, Becca. And I just want to be really clear with the audience that that is a specific Providence tool that we're using across our system. It is not every other healthcare. If you're in a different healthcare um, setting, there are different methods that um, organization organizations are using around that planning. But I guess I want to just highlight the importance of what Becca, Becca said that, you know, people know themselves best. And when you have that opportunity to do that self-assessment, that helps you make those decisions around um, when it's the right time to get the vaccine if you feel like you're in a high risk category. Um, so I think um, it's really important that self-assessment piece. So thank you for that, Becca. I wanna just, um, another question that came out uh, is once I get vaccinated, can I stop wearing a mask and social distancing? <laughs> Oh, I'm gonna let I you wish. give the best. <laughs> I wish that was the case. I wish that was the case. Um, unfortunately, no. Um, and we're gonna continue to need the masks and the social distancing until the pandemic has ceased. And um, that will be around the time where 75 to 80 percent of our population is immune to COVID. Uh, we can either get that immunity through natural infection or we can get it through vaccination. And I'm very much hoping we get it through vaccination and we get it quickly so that we can all put away these um, these masks and um, and begin to hug our friends again. Yeah, that's great. Yes, that I'm giving you a virtual hug right now, yes. Becca. <laughs> it's been probably one of the hardest things, but really when you think about simple things that we can do to protect ourselves and protect our, our loved ones and our communities, it is that social distancing and masking, hand sanitizing, um, making sure that, you know, we're really in cleaning spaces. Those things that from an infection prevention practice, um, 
you know, I think have been in place for a long time. It's just been kind of escalated to a level where it's not only happening in hospitals now, we need it to happen in homes and, you know, in stores and everywhere else just to help make sure that our communities are safe. And this, you know, this is something we may take away from this pandemic that that allows us to um, to be safer in the future with, you know, flu seasons and respiratory season every year. We have thousands, tens and thousands of individuals um, uh, that, that die from respiratory illness. And so I think we're all learning more about those tools that we can use to protect ourselves. And and hand hygiene is at the top of that list. Yeah, you know, it, and it's unfortunate that a pandemic has had to get us to the place where we're hand. We all understand the value of washing hands or using hand sanitizer, but it's one of those lessons that I don't think we'll will um, forget for a very long time. So I agree. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, are certain people more susceptible to adverse reactions to the vaccine? So. Um, individuals that have had severe allergic reactions to any of the vaccine components and in the past are at higher risk and those those folks should not receive the covid vaccine right okay and then another question about what types of vac um what types of vaccines and how are they stored you've talked about pfizer and moderma but um can you talk a little bit about how they're stored Sure. The the Pfizer is a really tricky one. It requires ultra uh, ultra cold storage, negative seventy degrees, um, and that is that's not easy to achieve. And so um, we have um, uh, ultra cold storage freezers uh, strategically placed around our our um, organization that allow us to um, to keep that vaccine in the frozen state. Um, and that's really sort of what makes it difficult is it needs to stay frozen until um, very near the time that it's going to be administered. It has to be mixed, um, uh, diluted, and then it, its um, uh, shelf life is very short after that. The Moderna has um, a little bit better stability and um, doesn't require such intense uh, cold storage requirements. And so while it's uh, well, it's not something you can just leave on the counter for weeks at a time. It's uh, definitely easier than a Pfizer vaccine. So you'll right. see um, in most healthcare systems that the uh, the Pfizer vaccine will will be generally administered from sites like hospitals. Uh, because of that, we've got to keep it closed so that we can um, we can abide by those storage requirements. Great, thanks. And Becca, can you know another question is really around security. You know, we saw early on in the pandemic where there was a lot of black market around PPE, and you know, and and just can you just talk a little bit about the planning that's gone into really security for our our vaccine? Absolutely, and uh, like anything, I, I hate that we have to plan uh, for for security, but um, but we want to be sure that. Um, that we don't lose any of this incredibly valuable vaccine, um, you know, and that that our caregivers are able to, to access it. So um, there has been quite a lot of planning, both in where the vaccine will be stored and in the, the process of the administration of the vaccine to ensure that um, it's behind lock and key, there's eyes on the vaccine at all times, and um, and that, you know, we, we don't put this really valuable uh, supply at risk. Great. Thanks, Becca. And I think one last question is, will every age group get the same dose of vaccine? Um, for now, uh, because we are, we're just 
administering to 16 and older. Um, over time, there there may be differences for pediatric and, and maybe even um, older populations as well. Great, thanks. And I think that just highlights the fluidity as we're learning and as things are coming out that there will be more information. We will, as a learning organization, I think we will continue to learn and we will continue to share um, some incredible work that's happened. So we're getting close to the end of our hour, uh, half an hour. Becca, is there anything that you'd like to, to say before I close our session? You know, I, should I would. Yeah, I would really like to encourage folks to to take the time to read about the vaccine, um, to to do the homework, read the literature. There's a ton out there on the FDA site and the CDC site that can help you to make a decision or, or to arrive at a decision um, that is informed. And um, and I, I think that's going to be really important. We have the capacity to stop this pandemic in its tracks if um, if we have good uptake of the vaccine. And you know, all evidence to this point is that the vaccine is safe and effective. And so, I'm I'm very hopeful that that folks will take the time and that we'll have um, wide, you know, the vaccine will be widely embraced by by our citizens. So, great. Well, I'm getting the vaccine. How about you? When it's my Absolutely. time. Absolutely. All right. <laughs> right. Great. Well, I want to thank you, Becca, for joining today, and for everyone for listening and sending your questions. To learn more about our initiatives, programs, services, and ways to give, please visit psjh.give.providence.org. If you're looking for help or medical advice, please visit providence.org. And make sure you follow us on social media at Providence Health System on Facebook and Instagram and under at Providence on Twitter. And I want to say thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Stay safe. And um, again, it's just been an incredible privilege working with Becca. And thank you for sharing your expertise on Vaccines 101. Thank you for the opportunity.